Welcome, welcome everybody to Why Now, a Yoga Journal original podcast. I'm your host, Monica Kadina, here with my co-host, Cameron Allen. Cameron, so happy to be with you. And in fact, I'm happy that you're checking in from sunny California where you just relocated to. How has that been for you? Hey, Monica, I'm glad to be here too. Uh, It's been really nice. I really like the weather change out here and just thinking about like the theme of decompression and how the morning times have been like really cool and that just feels really calm and a way to like decompress and then getting things going throughout the day and then at nighttime decompressing again. I've just actually been like really embodying this energy of what decompression is, no matter what that looks like, even if it looks like uh, certain types of emotionality or anything, it's like even decompressing through allowing myself to engage in my process has been really nice. How have you been feeling? I've been doing great. I've been doing a lot of releasing and just purging rituals. I think with everything that's been occurring collectively, I've been trying to gain a sense of control and normalcy around my own life. And for me, that's been looking like purging, cleanses, getting rid of some stuff in my loft that I just haven't been using for a while. And just welcoming in this new season, this new season of summer. And Cameron, you're from Memphis. And now you're in California. I'd love to hear just briefly, like, what are the differences for you in terms of how your body has been taking in this new environment and how summer has been treating you so far? So in Memphis, Tennessee, it's very, very humid. So that's the biggest thing that I've noticed, like the humidity and just like with everything going on right now, like me being in the hills and the elevation and how like my breathing is in the hills and going on the trails like that's the biggest thing i've noticed and also because i get kind of nerdy about it i'm like the atmospheric pressure is different so like my joints and tendons and ligaments have been desiring and craving more lubrication and nurturing and nourishment and that's been looking like uh taking extra baths and even like eating heavier foods in some way has been it's been kind of nice Super love that. And, you know, tying that into today's theme, we're going to be talking to a special guest today. Her name is Mona Sharma. She's a Los Angeles nutritionist, also known as Will Smith's nutritionist and a nutritionist to many of some of your favorite A-list stars. And Mona and I um, connected a few months ago and she invited me to do a 30-day program with her where she really helped me um, understand that I was in an immense state of stress. And it's so interesting as healers and as people who are in this spiritual and wellness space, you know, we hold a lot of space for others. So we really have to invite ourselves on how do we hold space for ourselves. And so I'm going to let y'all hear this amazing conversation with Mona so you can get some tips some tricks and some tools for your summer wellness kit. And before we get into that, gotta give a special shout out to our sponsors, Now Foods. Without Now Foods, this podcast wouldn't be possible. And for y'all, if you're looking to, you know, add your own wellness toolkit for the summer, head over to nowfoods.com and put in the promo code why now 20 for 20% off your purchase again that's why now 20 head over to nowfoods.com and get that discount code y'all um, and let's get into it without further ado here is our conversation with Mona Sharma Super excited to have Mona Sharma on the podcast episode today I was able to connect with Mona a few months ago, and she really helped me understand 
how I was just having some inflammation in my body. And a lot of it was related to stress. And Mona is a nutritionist and she's best known for being a celebrity nutritionist. Um, Without further ado, Mona, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit more about what you do. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So um, uh, I'm a holistic nutritionist. I basically means that I use food and supplementation to heal the body. Uh, But my background really comes from Ayurveda and yoga, actually. So to give you a bit more perspective on on what I do, I'll take you back to how I grew up. So uh, my dad is Indian from East India. My mom is from Denmark. But My mom has always suffered from debilitating autoimmune disease, so rheumatoid arthritis. And I've really only ever known her to be completely deformed. But with my dad's insight from India around Ayurveda, he would take us to actually live at an ashram every single summer. So an ashram typically is a a space where they do a lot of focus on food as medicine, yoga, breath work, being in community, um, you know, also relaxation power of thoughts and stuff like that. And it's around a really strict schedule. So Ayurveda is also the foundation there. So you could say as a kid, I really saw firsthand the power of food and mindfulness to start to heal. And you know, you would think that this was such a gift for me growing up, but I actually threw it out the window completely. Um, you know, what kid wants to be woken up at 5.30 in the morning to go and meditate and breathe and chant and do yoga for two hours <laughs> to do that twice a day? Um, so I kind of threw it out the window. I went out there. I got a typical corporate job. I actually worked in the fashion and beauty industry, um, doing sales and artistry training for a handful of luxury cosmetic companies. But this is when people's eyes light up and they think, yeah, oh, it was a cool job. And I thought it was really cool then too, but it was a typical corporate scenario where I got really sick. Uh, I was about 40 pounds heavier. I suffered from de- debilitating anxiety, uh, depression, I would say. I was told at one point that I wasn't going to be able to have children. The stress was really up there, but I was also diagnosed as having a heart condition. So atrial tachycardia was like just pounding heart rate and it would cause me sometimes to want to pass out or faint. So that led to me not having one heart surgeries, but two. And in the second heart surgery, after being on these crazy beta blocker medication that were really kind of like stealing my sense of uh, personality, you could say, like it really kind of felt like I was walking around through life with this like foggy vision all the time. During that second surgery, one, I'll never forget, you know, you're awake through the whole procedure. I was looking at my heart on this big monitor and the doctor said, Mona, why are you crying? It was like, imagine watching your heart getting pumped with all these wires and medications to try to induce this episode. The second thing that I remember him saying to me is, look, if we go through with the procedure this time, you run the risk of wearing a pacemaker for the rest of your life. And that for me was like, what am I doing? What am I doing in this moment? I'm, I'm young. I was in my 20s, early 20s. So that ultimately made me make the decision to throw in the towel, quit the corporate world, really assess like where I wanted to be. I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what to do, but I knew that I had to go back to my roots. And this was at the ashram. It was the Shivananda ashram. So this time, instead of going uh, to Valmoren in Quebec, I took off to the Bahamas and I lived on an island for two months. I became a yoga teacher, meditation teacher. I was forced into the kitchen to really learn about food. And this evolved my passion for nutrition. And that's how I started working with clients, like really using the foundation of what I learned at the ashram. So 
ultimately, you know, when I talk to everybody about the three pillars that I took from Ashram Life, really it's this idea of food as medicine. Food isn't like medicine. It, it really is medicine. Movement is the therapy. I think your community, especially with Yoga Journal, will understand these breakthroughs that happen on the yoga mat, getting up and walking out of class because something's been released from the body. So it's actually therapy for your body. And then the third pillar is mindfulness. I would say probably the most important pillar because mindfulness is what always brings us back to center. I love that. And I think what you were saying about your own journey and like working in that corporate space so resonates with me. Even when we started working together, we did that three page assessment. And the first time we got in a video conference call, I'll never forget the first thing that you said to me, you just looked at me, you said, honey, you're so inflamed. (laughs) And that's exactly, you know, how I felt in my body. And a lot of it was because I was holding on to these emotional um, things that I just couldn't release. And so I'd love to know more about, you know, how you assess people when you start to work with them to see like where they're at on their journey. I love that you brought that up. Um, you're certainly not inflamed anymore. (laughs) So, you know, I think people, when they first start working with me, they expect me to put them on a diet or to talk about food right away. But from my experience at the ashram, it wasn't the food, it was the combination of everything, really taking a holistic whole life view of what's happening. And I would say ultimately my work, it really has to do with helping people raise their vibration by changing their thoughts and their feelings, taking them out of imbalance and getting them back to a state of feeling good because high vibration, this is a state of being that's connected with happiness and with joy. And for us today, if anybody, we've all experienced waking up with anxiety, being sore, uh, worry, stress, fear, unhappiness. You know, when we start the day off in that low vibration energy, what are we more likely to do? Go and make a really healthy green smoothie? Probably not. Go and meditate? Probably not. We then are on this cycle for the day that's causing us to make poor choices for our mind, body, and spirit. So what I say is ultimately switch your vibration first. And with my clients, I really assess, well, what is the result of all of this accumulation? So in our work together, what was accumulating over time? And I think we even reference like going back to when you were a kid, how many thoughts have you had since you were a little kid about not feeling good enough, about having this like low energy, about having fear, anxiety, comparison to others that steals energy from you from actually showing up as your most true, authentic, and happy self. So we have to start there. This, by the way, is what led me to you know working a lot with NLP. NLP is neurolinguistic programming. Because now it's no longer woo-woo, this idea of like our thoughts speaking to our body. It's backed by science. Um, doctors, you know, like Joe Dispenza, for example, is incredible leading the space in this field around the fact that the power of your thoughts are communicated to every single cell in your body. Now, what are those thoughts? And what have those thoughts been for you for days, for weeks, for months, or for years? I know for me, it's not that I was unhappy growing up, but I was always kind of on edge. I always had anxiety. And I, when I really did the work, I went back to uncovering a lot of things about my youth that made me feel a little unease. I never felt like I fit in. So I was always comparing myself to others and um, you know, always thinking that I was never good enough, right? So is it not any wonder that I would get sick, right? In Ayurveda, when we talk about these imbalances, whatever they may be for you... 
Um, it could be physical, emotional, when we think about our mental or spiritual bodies, it's a result of accumulation over time. So how can we peel back the layers? When you go to live at the ashram, that's what it is. It's uncomfortable having such a strict schedule on repeat every single day. It's very uncomfortable. But what does that do for you? Ultimately, it forces you to simplify your life. It's kind of like shutting down every single tab, all the tabs that we have open in our brain so that what are you left with? Yourself. Dealing with you. For me, dealing with my heart um, with a sense of you know self-compassion and self-love. Are any of us ever taught to love ourselves? Not so much, right? So I think that this is really the first place to begin because you can't heal a body that you don't love, right? So back to your question, when we think about like what these imbalances are, if I were to do a conference, you know, I ask, you know, how many people here suffer from anxiety, worry, tension, irritability, constipation, having, uh, you know, breakouts, poor sleep, um, IBS, food sensitivities, um, depression, uh, maybe a sense of like brain fog or not being able to focus, joint pain. The list goes on and on. By the end of the, my, my questions, every single hand in the audience is up. So what does this tell me? It means that as a society, we have accepted living out of balance. And just because a lot of these symptoms are common, like I'm sure if I were to ask you guys, if you can name a few people who've suffered from any of these symptoms, you say, oh yeah, totally, all of us, me, right? Just because they're common does not mean that they are normal. So, you know, the first thing is really to assess what symptoms are you having and would you like to get rid of them? Is there an optimal way or a better way for you to wake up feeling every single morning? And if that's a yes, then that tells you that there's work to be done. That was beautifully said. And I, like in my practice, I'd say a lot of those same things. And then even just thinking about, you know, people diving straight into like food and, and, and stuff like that. In traditional Chinese medicine, I know they always talk about like stopping the leaks, you know, it's like, what are we doing that's like draining our energy? So I just thought that was beautiful and perfectly well said. And I really appreciate that because a lot of people jump straight into like the neutral part of it. So that's just amazing. Um, yeah. So what about seasonal tips? I know a lot of times we think that we should be eating this or we should be eating that. Uh, what do you suggest people eat since we're moving into the summertime? Uh, what's your like outlook on that? Yeah. So if you're following the Ayurvedic foundation or philosophy, and to your point, I really don't advise ever being on a diet per se. Diet has a negative connotation. I think it's actually destroying our relationship with food altogether. But when we think about the Ayurvedic perspective and, you know, getting to that root cause of balance, you can easily like go online and do a, a dosha quiz to figure out what this is. But from just kind of like an overview, and it makes sense too, right? As we move into the summer months, you know, um, we think about light, uh, longer days, fire, having heat, and gradual heating up of our bodies, but also the planet, right? So we want to make sure that your body stays in harmony. So when you think about the foods, you have to think about things that are a bit cooling, right? So why do we have things like watermelon and cucumber, um, things like grape that hold a lot of water content in them to keep us really, really hydrated? This is also a time of year to really indulge in those cooling salads or raw foods, um, less around soups and stuff like that, but more around uh, a raw diet for sure. Juicing is also a really great thing. Aloe vera juice is another great option. But when you think about this, anything that's going to prevent your body from becoming too hot 
having foods higher content in water that could be considered as cooling foods or optimal for summer eating. And do you find that the conditioning or the society that we're in also puts us into a certain, like, so I know Ayurveda is, is ancient wisdom, but just like with the context that we're in right now, is there anything that you see that you've had to adapt to our culture? Because I know a lot of times people try to go back and like learn ancient wisdom, but without the context of like the here and now, some things kind of get lost, you know? So how have you adjusted it? I think it really can go back to all cultures, right? So if we were to really look back, and I would say even for most of my clients, when you understand where you come from, uh, your genetics, typically when you go back to the way of eating that your genetics would or your, you know, your heritage would, your body tends to go back into balance. Now today, when I work with my clients, I often always partner with a doctor, a functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic doctor, because we can understand your biology. So the science is really cool there because it can actually tell you what ratio of carbohydrates or fats or proteins are best for your constitution. But what I will say in alignment with that, when I do take this Eastern approach to my work, it always goes back to your genetics, your heritage. So for me, here I was at my sickest trying to do a really high protein, high fat diet, and I wasn't feeling good. I was waking up, you know, um, with brain fog every day, wasn't having energy as what is promoted, right? Today, going on keto or paleo. That might be great for some constitutions, but it was not for my constitution. When I went back to my, obviously I, I come from a mixed heritage, but I look a lot like my, my dad's side. I went back to the Indian type of a diet, having more lentils, stopping afraid of carbs, which is what I spent most of my life you know, doing as a teenage girl, right? Carbohydrates are actually good for me. They made me feel amazing. I had energy. My mood felt stabilized. So I think it's about less looking for the perfect diet for you and instead honor your constitution in the same way that the spiritual world will always like just bring us back to our sense of self. You're really left to address yourself. Food has to be looked at at the exact same light. When you're eating and you're really, you know, owning the fact that the food is nourishment for you. It's fuel. It's either going to fuel you and your happiness and your goals and your achievement, or it's going to deplete you and take you further away from those things. So it develops, it takes practice, I'll say. It takes practice developing this intuition. But I promise you that with practice, you will become an expert at knowing this makes me feel good. This makes me feel nourished. This allows me to sleep better. This makes me feel a little bit more ease. And that is how I think that everybody should really eat is this intuitive eating is really the way to optimize health, but also longevity. I love that. Intuitive eating is like such a big thing right now. And I feel, I'll say for myself personally, as I've shared to you, Mona, and now with the larger community, I, like many other folks, have had my own fair share of eating disorders. And so to have that connection to like my digestive system, it does not come easily for me. So what are some tips that you would give folks if they're trying to get on the path to that intuitive um, eating? First and foremost, um, you know, although I don't provide a diet, I will give a list of foods. What are some of the inflammatory foods that we can all live without? Um, you know, things that are packaged and processed. When we think energetically about food, the closest that it is from source will have more energy to optimize and fuel your health. So this idea of farm to table, whenever you can do that for you, you will be nourishing yourself from the energy of the food. Things that come in a box 
that are packaged, that are processed, that have a list of ingredients, really you could consider it to be dead food, right? Not a lot of life force behind it. So taking those things out of your diet, what else would be inflammatory? Sugar. Sugar, we know, increases the inflammatory response. It's highly addictive. You will be craving more of those foods. Taking it out of your diet, notice what symptoms subside. Other things that we know to be inflammatory for most people, dairy, dairy today and how it's processed is a big inflammatory agent. Wheat and gluten, even though you may not have celiac disease, there's something called non-reactive gluten sensitivity which really affects the, um, the gut lining, right? The gut microbiome. So taking that out from your diet, noticing how you feel from that. And then of course, the most genetically processed foods on the planet, right? Things like soy, things like corn as well. And I would say, take those things out of your diet. And instead of focusing on what you can't have, focus on the abundance of things that you can have, <laughs> you know, like really it might take um, the first two weeks of getting rid of the cravings for those foods. But one of the funniest stories I always share with my clients is that after living at an ashram and cutting out all of those things for so long, I remember coming back home and I had a spinach salad. I could actually taste the sweetness in spinach. Like <laughs> that was crazy for me. So we get so addicted to these foods that are too salty or too fatty or too sweet. So it's a really cool thing when you can reacclimate your foods to foods that actually heal you and nourish you. I love that. I want to take it back to creative visualization for a second. So fact, um, when I would tell people that I started working with you and you're most known for, especially with the recent table, Red Table Talk that you did for being Will Smith and the Smith Family Nutritionist, when I told people, they were like, oh, wow, so you had to like clear everything out of your refrigerator because of her and like you must be going hardcore, no, no carbs. And I was like, actually... One of the simplest practices that we did forever changed me. And that was when we sat down and had a Zoom session and he told me to close my eyes and visualize how I started my morning. And it was something as simple as you um, giving me that visualization of starting my day off with lemon, warm lemon water and just making it something so simple. And so you giving me like small things to do instead of like, you have to go zero to 100. There has to be like little steps that we take to get to where we're trying to go. And so I really love that idea of implementing visualization into that intuitive and mindful eating practice because it really starts with how you are perceiving your day and perceiving, you know, how you want to, you know, function throughout your day, be it the foods that you're consuming or the conversations that you're having or the activities that you're experiencing? You know, here's what I know. After such a long time of helping people achieve weight loss, right? We all want weight loss. I would help these people lose hundreds and hundreds of pounds in total, like over the, the decade that I've done this. Um, but it didn't mean that they were going to wake up happier, right? And what I think is so interesting about today is the fact that we know so much about wellness but we still live in a diet culture. Diet culture means deprivation. We're super restrictive. We go hardcore. I like that word hardcore because hardcore is what I did when I was at my sickest. We do cleanses. We do the pills. We don't eat. We exercise for hours at the gym, but you can't hardcore your way out of a body that's imbalanced, right? So, you know, going back to understanding this and that food really can empower you. Um, 
really the decision to listen, listen to the whispers, right? I think that by the time you worked with me, your whispers had gotten so loud, the communication from your body had gotten so loud that they turned into screams, right? So not only did we assess the, you know, the, the food, the diet, obviously, but we had to assess, well, what are your patternings? What are the quality of your thoughts every single day? And to do that, we have to align with that, right? You have to align with the vision of yourself that you want to create. Otherwise, the goals that you have are always externally motivated goals. That job, that money, that husband, that partner, that friend, whatever it is, is always exterior motivated. If you can make it feel real to begin with, then it becomes part of you. The chance of, chances of you sticking with a program or working with a coach or a guide means that you've made the decision internally. So what I developed was this idea of a snapshot exercise with my clients, which is what you did. So when you close your eyes, I ask you, imagine a time in your life when you felt happiness, when you felt joy, when you felt peace when you felt fun, maybe a sense of you like wanting to throw your hands up in the air because you just felt like so happy, right? And for many people like me, I was amazed that I couldn't find just like dozens of these images pop up. That's because I got so accustomed to living with what wasn't working, what didn't make me feel good, what I wasn't happy with, what I wasn't getting. I wasn't aligning with the thoughts of happiness and joy. So some people can figure out what one of those memories are. With other people, they have to build it. But if you're trying this exercise at home, think about one of those moments and then imagine how did it feel in your body? And for most people, when I'm watching them instantly, as they exhale, I see their shoulders melt away from their ears, their forehead starts to soften. Maybe a smile comes over their face and that for that second, they felt it. Well, what does that mean? It means that you just aligned your body and your mind for happiness. And in that state, you make the decisions that are good for you, that fuel you, that nourish you right? So every single day when you get out of bed, before you get out of bed, align with your highest self snapshot and then build it. It can turn into a movie reel of the things that you want to create, how you want to feel in your body, maybe the marathon that you want to run, the love that you want to have, the home that you want to have. What does it smell like? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Get as detailed as possible on every single thing that's going to make you feel happy and then start your day. It doesn't take long. It could take 30 seconds in the morning, but align with that. And the really cool thing is that you can put reminders around your house or at work that literally just say your snapshot and you're always realigning to the happiness and joy memory in your body. You know what? I can't lie. This might be the first time I've ever just like sat down and listened to somebody talk and just be like, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Like even like the variations of the things that you said, like uh, cause like a lot of my clients, I'll have them literally like put the food to their stomach or like smell the food and just take like that one bite and like, see how that feels, you know? Mm-hmm. And just that whole process that you're talking about and going through, is just, I'm so on board with it that I'm like, not only do I have no questions left, I'm just like, this is amazing. <laughs> like I've never had this experience before. <laughs> it's great. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Yeah, we're super blessed to chat. So now this is a um, rapid fire, just questions. Whatever comes to you comes. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and let you tell us what your first response is. So what is your favorite mantra? Uh, My favorite mantra, I am love. What is your favorite asana pose? Um, fish pose. 
What is your favorite yoga prop? Um, my, uh, oh, my affirmant. It has an affirmation written at the top. What is your favorite essential oil? Um, my orange. Ooh, orange. What is your favorite tea blend? Um, Sencha green tea. Mm. Favorite place in nature? The ocean. Thank you for that. Um, another question we have is, how do you find ways to decompress and bring stillness into your life? Yeah, the biggest thing for me is um, recognizing that to decompress does not take a lot of work. Um, you know, I was, I come from conditioning, you know, for a lot of people who are a type out there will resonate with this. You think that you have to go, uh, and do something. It has to look a certain way and feel a certain way. So for example, meditating for 20 minutes a day, I wasn't doing that. Oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So now I acknowledge the mindfulness that comes in moments. So I have two kids, a two-year-old and a five-year-old who God bless them, but they wake up at five 30 in the morning. So am I going to get up? much earlier to do 20 minute meditation practice. No. So often when I'm making a coffee, it's taking a deep breath in and letting it go. It's using the power of visualization to imagine my feet in the sand for my snapshot. I'm sitting on the beach, I'm facing the sun. And I really just imagine the energy of the sun lifting my body up. And as I exhale, I'm exhaling darkness, toxin, stress, anxiety, and worry with every inhalation. It's an opportunity to you know, really think about what a sun salutation is, right? Facing the sun, taking in all the energy, exhaling what no longer serves you. And I think that you don't always have to be in the sun, but you just have to use the power of your mind to work for you instead of against you. I love that. And our last question is, why now more than ever do you feel people should be incorporating more yoga and mindfulness into their daily lives? I think that what is so relevant today is that as we, as the universe, as the world has been called to tune in and heal, we've been called into our houses, into our minds, into our bodies to heal. And I think for a lot of us, there are certain aspects of ourselves that we're gaining clarity on or asking for clarity on. And maybe a lot of the things, the stuff out there pre-quarantine that we thought was important maybe isn't so important anymore. And I think that this has to do, the word that always comes up to me is freedom. Freedom from all stressors in our life, freedom from inflammation, freedom from a sense of lack and really stepping into joy. So I would say that, you know, choose your thoughts wisely, but choose your habits wisely for your habits become your rituals and your rituals become who you are. It doesn't take a Monday to start. It doesn't take a January 1st to start. You can start every day, every hour, every minute can be the reset button, but start to align with the version of yourself that you want to be. And if I were to ask you, like, what, what's one thing that you can give up right now that isn't serving you? What, what would it be? Most people have the answer to that question. So set your life up in a way that you can honor that and create a habit, really, you know, make it a, a 21, a 30 day practice so that it finally becomes you. Because when this is over and we go back into the world, we want to go back into the world, prepared to take on a life that's probably possibly greater than anything that we could have imagined, right? It's really breaking free from a lot of the stress and the noise that's happening out there in the world and recognizing that when we tune into the things that we want, we can decide to be 
enlightened. And your practice and your practice and my practice, they're all going to look very different. So instead of looking for a formula, really tune into exactly what you need. What are you being called to get clarity on? Yeah, that's really well said. And it makes me think about when you were talking about uh, like yoga and going back to like the, the thoughts of like the ashram and stuff like that and how everything you're saying is literally just like inviting us to go home. And when I was younger, I remember my mom told me like when I was younger, whenever I would write the word home, I would always put H-O and then the M-E would be a capitalized. So it's just like, I love that so much. And I just like, everything you're saying just makes me, reminds me of that. And like, just an open invitation for everybody to come home to their self and find out what's really going on there. I love that. You know, growing up, my dad, he would always say like, this body, it's just a vessel. This body is just a vessel. So if we're living in this body, ultimately, this is our home. So what are we feeling, right? What are we feeding it? And I think it comes down to everything. So not just the food, the conversations, what you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're watching, the relationships that you have, they're all a choice that are either going to fuel your home or deplete your home. So I love that. And thank you for the reminder. That's, that brings up something else too. Like you were saying about diet, like I invite people, I'm like, well, why don't you make that your diet, right? Like what am I digesting? This TV show, that's a part of my diet. This movement, that's a part of my diet. This drive home is part of my diet. What in your diet is nurturing you and nourishing and what isn't? And like learning like that's what our diet is. This is what, we, what is our habitual nourishment? Absolutely. We all have the same choices, right? So it's either the choice to go back to self and awaken health. I believe that health exists in everybody. So making the right choices to awaken the best health and happiness, because we all deserve that. It's our birthright. And 100% our birthright. Mona Sharma, super thrilled to have you on today's podcast episode. Thank you so much for showing up. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for the own your personal impact that you've had on my life. Super appreciative of you. Any last reflections? Can you let folks know where they can find you at and any things you have in the pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. So um, please come and find me. Uh, you know, when Will Smith called me, I had been really asking for ways that I could help the masses and connect with the masses. I think that even though I'm an introvert, I'm deeply passionate about connecting to the human experience. So find me on Instagram. That's my platform of choice. You can reach out to me there. It's at Mona Sharma. Um, the other things that I'm working on right now are uh, a book. So <laughs> working on getting that out to everybody. I have a 30-day program that we're um, just finalizing as well through my website, which is monasharma.com. So you can, lots of resources to be in touch. Yay. Thank you again so much. Until next time. Me too. Thank you so much, you guys. Appreciate it. Wow. Yeah. I really love that conversation and just the open invitation, just while I'm like thinking about all the things she talked about and we talked about in that discussion, it just made me think of the seasons and how summertime is the peak season for activity. But a lot of us have been like slowed down. So we can stay active while we're still reflecting and while we're decompressing. But we do need to know that we like to get active out here in the summertime is so good. And also just, yeah, thinking about seasonal foods and like bringing in some berries, bringing in some like cool showers 
and things like that always keeps helps us keep balance and harmony. Appreciate y'all. Stay tapped and tuned in and we will talk to you next week. Peace. Peace.